0: morning church. We're blessed to have another Sunday morning that we can gather together, we can sing, we can read the word of God, we can pray together, experience fellowship. But this Sunday is, in our church, a communion Sunday. So not exactly like all the others. Unique. It's a special Sunday. Um, our church tradition has been to celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month. Some churches celebrate the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis, or every time they gather together. Other churches reserve it for once a year, around Easter time, in celebration of that Passover meal. But regardless of the frequency of when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, we recognize that communion is probably the single most important and special thing we have in our faith, to celebrate, to commemorate, to bind us together, to represent what we stand for and what our whole faith is built upon, the death crucifixion, the atonement, the resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit from Christ to his church. This is the cornerstone of our faith. This meal, this table that we gather around this morning, it represents the family of God. So we gather around the family table. We remember our eldest brother, Christ, who went first into death and into resurrection. We recognize around this table that we're all equals Everybody has an equal seat at the table, no matter age, education, wealth, doesn't matter. And each one of us recognize that it's God's grace that we anticipate our death and then our resurrection as well. So the Lord's Supper, communion, is so central, so pivotal, so representative, so informative of all the biggest things that matter to us in our life and in the afterlife. It's just a cornerstone, probably the most important cornerstone in the church. But if you remember when we looked through the book of Acts, we read through it and studied, we've referred back to it many times, in Acts 2, 42, it says, the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so to the study of Jesus' words, that's what the apostles taught, and to the breaking of bread. This is referring to, I believe, communion, the Lord's Supper, that was a staple, was one of their four cornerstones, to koinonia fellowship, which means they're all together like true brotherhood, real friends, through thick and thin, just people that you're just bound together with at the deepest levels. Uh, and to prayer. Fourth one was prayer. So you have the Lord's Supper being one of these cornerstones in addition to the study of the Word of God, in addition to praying together, in addition to deep Christian friendships. Uh, it's no different today. It's no different today. If you take any one of those things out of the church today, if there's no prayer or no word of God or no communion or no real fellowship, it falls apart. It can't exist, certainly can't represent the full body of Christ with any one of those pieces missing. So on this special Sunday, this communion Sunday, I started thinking about communion and the word itself and feeling like this is a perfect tie-in to the last few weeks we've been talking about community. So, community is the coming together of a group of people, you know, the relationship that's bond of community and friendship. Kind of represents the koinonia cornerstone. But the word communion that we use for the Lord's Supper is also called the Eucharist, you know, giving thanks. Um, But the word communion itself, uh, I looked up a definition and it says the, the sharing or exchanging of personal thoughts and feelings, especially inward ones like mental or spiritual ones. So when we commune with one another, we share and we exchange our thoughts and our feelings. When we enter into communion with God, say in our morning prayer time, you know, we're on our knees before we go to work or we're sitting and have a cup of coffee and bowing our heads. we, We enter into communion with God we exchange. He gives to us, and we give to him this exchange of thoughts and feelings. How is God feeling with us today? How are we feeling towards him today? How are we feeling towards our life today? What are we thinking about? What's he thinking about on our behalf? What does he want us to think about? So this exchange, this communion, the fellowship that we experience with God through his Holy Spirit is communion. It's the basic definition of the word. So it's a good word to apply to the Lord's Supper because we're communing. We're using this meal, this table that we share, as a way to come into an exchange of thoughts and feelings with God, to come into tight unity with Him. And so I thought for this morning we would do just a very simple, one-point communion meditation that builds upon all the community sermons and messages and teachings that we've been discussing and learning together over these last few weeks, uh, and relates it specifically to food and faith food, and faith. Communion is a meal. It's actually things that you eat and drink. Now, in our tradition, it's typically just a a small bit of juice, a small bit of cracker or bread. Um, But that wasn't always the case. The Lord's Supper, the Passover, is a full meal, an extravagant meal that has many courses and meanings and takes place over time. In those four cornerstone things, you know, the breaking of bread isn't necessarily just juice and a wafer. When we see it described in depth in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the church there about the meals, and he condemns them, actually criticizes them for some getting drunk. So there had to be enough wine, not just one little sip, that some were able to get drunk on it. And he said, I'm some starved, but some get fattened up on all they're eating. So there was, it was a meal. It came together around a meal, and that table was a unifying thing. And that's why Paul has such trouble with it. We're going to look at that passage in just a minute. He doesn't have a problem with them. Uh, For all these secondary reasons, the main problem he has is that there are divisions. They are separated when the table is supposed to bring us together. And as I thought more about this, I thought back to the Old Testament, I realized this has been the pattern that God has established through all the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're a continuation of the New Testament church, us today, here in 2019. So, what role does that have in our fellowship, in our worship? What role does food have in our relationship with God, the exchange of meals, of communion meals, of meals at our home? What relationship does food and fellowship, the breaking of bread, have with our families at home and our closeness, our koinonia as you know, mothers and fathers, sons, children, daughters, that family unit? And what relationship does food have with our faith and our friends? Meals exchanged with friends? What Meals exchanged with neighbors? Meals exchanged with strangers? What role does that have? In our culture, we're increasingly being subdivided into isolated little pockets. And so two families are eating maybe even the exact same meal at the exact same time, but in two separate homes. But then in a different scenario, two families come together and share that meal and share thoughts, there's an exchange of thoughts, an exchange of feelings, and get to know and be known on a mental level and on a spiritual level. This happens between us and God. I'm going to refer to a couple of scriptures. We're going to read that one in 1 Corinthians 11 together. Uh, And I want us to think about what it means for our families at home. I want us to think about what it means for our outreach to the community around us. Think about what it means for our little church family here as well. So let's just think through kind of a theology of food and faith and how it all comes together and it's a crucial part, God's design actually, I believe, for one of the building blocks of community, which is what our church, I believe, needs to pray for and strive for and long for and pursue now as hard as we can with our whole hearts because it's that cornerstone along with scripture and prayer and fellowship, breaking of bread, These things are what are going to give us the foundation we need for whatever the next season of life and ministry it is that God has for us. So, think back with me to a couple of Old Testament sacrifices. Let's paint the scene. You're an Old Testament person of God, most likely Jewish or definitely adopted into the Jewish people of God, the nation of Israel, one of the tribes. And you're taught from a young age that when you sin, or when it's time to celebrate, or just as a sacred portion, your tithe, you are to take an animal of different sorts, based on the sin and the atonement, based on the celebration and the the sacrifice, based on your income, based on many things, bring it to the temple. And there in the temple, there's an altar. And the priest is there at the altar, and you bring your sacrifices to the priest And the priest sacrifices the animal. And there's a payment of blood, which represents our atonement to God, asking him to forgive us our sins. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. That's why Christ's blood on the cross is essential for us once and for all. But all of these animal sacrifices were foreshadowings, small tastes of what was to come. But in most cases, what's happening on the altar there is that The animal is being killed and cooked and divided. And a portion of it provides for the priests whose role is to work in the temple and be intermediaries between God and men. Again, a role that Jesus takes over. But the sacrifice is to provide for them. They don't have fields of their own, food of their own. It's just given to them. And then the rest comes back to the family and is eaten as a family. So the atonement of sacrifice has three parts. There's the relationship with God. Actually, in Leviticus, it says, the smoke of the incense from the altar comes up as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. So he's kind of breathing in our sacrifice, our gratitude, our contrition. And he's communing with us. And we're providing for the ministry of his church, his priests, his temple. We're providing for others. But we're also sharing a meal together. We sacrifice, now let's eat. Let's be grateful. God is good. There is a whole burnt offering, where in this specific case, the entire animal was completely burned to ash. And in most of the other sacrifices, portions of the animal would be completely burned up to the Lord. But in most cases, the sacrifice was between God and men, between men and the priest, and then for a meal. It was community, and it was confession, and for the people of God over all time, it was established by God as one of these cornerstones of faith. So we come forward into the New Testament, Jesus inaugurating this new way to relate to God, and he says, I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. I will be completely burned up, as it were, dead, fully, crucified, dead, and buried. That will take away the sins of the world for any who will believe in me. But then I will rise again, and I will give you my spirit, and you will come after me. I'm the first of the resurrection, and you will follow after The time he chooses to introduce this concept is a meal. He chooses the Passover meal, a meal where food is shared. This food is being shared in commemoration of the Egyptians persecuting the Israelites, the people of God, and them fleeing out of bondage. And the blood, again, for atonement, forgiveness, being painted on the doorposts of the Israelites' homes in Egypt. So that the angel of death would pass over. The last, the final, the worst, the most tragic of the plagues. So the Israelites come out from bondage and go to the promised land. Jesus, we paint his blood on the doorposts of our heart. We turn to him as the sacrificial lamb. And we are set free from sin. So even though we do sin and have sinned, and we'll still have sins that we commit. When we see God, we're going to claim that blood. Not that we're perfect, but that the blood on the cross is sufficient for atonement for us. And we celebrate that with a meal, a meal remembering deliverance, remembering God's goodness, a meal that requires vulnerability and humility on our parts to say, we can't do this on our own. And so Jesus says, when you do this, when you celebrate deliverance, now do it in my name. And how do I want you to celebrate? I want you to sit around the table. I want you to eat. I want you to drink. I want you to be family, the family of God. No longer is simply the nation and tribes of Israel, but the family of God in the biggest sense. All the peoples of the earth invited to take part. So his disciples took that to heart. They began celebrating and teaching the churches that they established to celebrate the Passover in remembrance of Christ. <clears throat> and people got together, Gentiles and Jews alike, all people from all nations, and had a meal in remembrance of the sacrifice, this meal that was communion with them and God, a coming together of all different types of people around a table to celebrate food. And like we see with First Corinthians, you know, it was done with excess sometimes, and it wasn't done well. But it was meant to be unifying. It was meant to be a spiritual exchange. And it was meant to be a physical exchange, a symbol of gratitude, food given, food taken. You know, a meal of any sort, whether we're sitting as a family around the dinner table, whether we're inviting friends over for a barbecue on a Saturday or Sunday in the weekend, <clears throat> whether we've been celebrating communion or the Lord's Supper here in a church building, um, it's transactional. Someone bought the food or bought parts of the food and they brought it and they give. I brought the salad. You brought the wine. You brought the bread. You brought the dessert. I brought the hamburgers and the buns. We, we exchange. I give, eat, enjoy. And you give to me, eat, enjoy. Not for the sake of having strings attached. Do you remember when I made that meal for you? That was good. You owe me a meal. No. It's generosity. So many things happen in a meal. It's transactional. There's a give and there's a take, no matter who is at the table. There's equality. All eat together. There's generosity involved. Someone has given up their work to bless someone else. There's vulnerability. You're asked who are you? How are you? I'm fine. Uh, You talk, you share. There's learning that happens. We learn from one another. We look into each other's eyes. We learn what someone's day was like, what a life is like walking in their shoes for a week or a month or a year. We exchange these things, friendship and camaraderie. The inside jokes happen when, you know, the, the food spills all over the floor and you have to order pizza. That memory Becomes one of the building blocks that ties people together. It becomes the inside joke that you laugh about next time. You're not necessarily laughing when the food's on the floor that day. Although hopefully you laugh soon enough. But later on you do. And those are the ties that bind. It's the same way for us today. However, in our current approach to church, if we think of kind of the Sunday only model, the only fellowship meal that we might celebrate it is a tiny piece of bread and a tiny bit of juice. That's not enough to even feel like it's being generous that it's being given to you. We don't learn about one another. It's not necessarily transactional, though maybe it is on a small level. It definitely involves gratitude. It definitely recognizes our sins and, and brings us humility. It definitely involves vulnerability, but it has like a piece of the puzzle. Whereas the Lord's Supper meal, meals shared around a table, that encompasses this community together. Now, in that Acts 2.42 chapter, before we go to our passage and just read it, and then I leave you with a few questions to discuss in some small groups here this morning, recognize that it starts off by saying they broke bread together, they um, experienced fellowship and prayer and um, studied the Word of God. Those are the four cornerstones. But immediately after that, it says, you know, they worshipped in the temple daily, and they broke bread in each other's homes. It wasn't enough that they had these celebrations that were worship, and that were sacrificial, and that were ritual, and, and that were um, formal. They also were just deep, deep friends, and they shared meals. That is not coincidental. That is not something just for that era. That is part of what meals do in community. That is part of what God's purpose is. And it was a building block of the Jewish community, as a building block of the early church, New Testament and Greek communities. And it has to be a building block of our church as well if we want to experience the togetherness that God has designed us for. We talked last week or uh, a couple of weeks ago now, about um, coming together in threes. Jesus's model for community. Who are your three? You know, who are your intimate, closest friends that you experience the the challenges and joys of life with personally? You know, when you have the baby, who's there with you in the the hospital room the next morning? Those three. Share a meal with those people. Don't make those friendships formal in such a way that you have an agenda for a meeting and you sit down and it has to happen in a conference room somewhere. Meet at Panera. Sit around the kitchen table. Have a cup of coffee and a bagel or a donut. Share a dinner together. Get families together. There needs to be more than just formality if we're going to experience true community. And meals are the vehicle for that. In your 12, in your small group of friends, gather for meals. Have some chips and dip. Have a full-on three-course meal. (coughs) But don't come together to merely be spiritually connected. When Jesus invites us to share meals that represent God's goodness to us, our gratitude, our generosity, where we exchange thoughts, feelings, and food. And we laugh and enjoy one another's company. We're meant to be together and to enjoy one another. In the New Testament, it's called hospitality, right? And the Bible says that some people are actually gifted the spiritual gift of hospitality. Oh, they're good at getting people together, good at helping people bond together. But do you know in completely different passages, we're from talking about spiritual gifts over here, show hospitality is given just as a command. It's one of the one another passages, how we're supposed to relate to each other. So we are all commanded to share meals with one another and share our homes with one another. It's a command. It's what the church has to do. It's a building block. It's how we love one another. So whether we're spiritually gifted in it or not, we have to show this kind of hospitality, These meals. That is what community and family is built upon. So it is a gift. It's also a command. Um, and then, as we said from Acts, it's a cornerstone of the church. It's one of the things that everything else is built upon. So let's just read the passage for this morning. Like I said, really, just kind of a single thought. How does meal and church relationship with God, with our church, with our family, and with our neighbors, and even strangers around us relate to this? Let's just read one more time, remind ourselves of what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says. Paul's writing to a church, 1 Corinthians 11:17 is where it will start. Unity is the most important thing. He's most disturbed that it's not actually about Jesus because they're making it selfish. They're having... Uh, favoritism, they're having gluttony happening, and people are drinking too much. It's, it's not just friendship; it's excess. And so he corrects them. And where we need to be corrected, we want to listen to Scripture as well. So let's just read it together. First Corinthians eleven seventeen. Um, I'm reading from the ESV translation. Paul says, "In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for better. And you know, we've been saying better is together. When these people came together, it's not for better, but for worse." For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. So you're not all together as one body. You've got your friends, you've got your friends, you've got the betters, you've got the worses, you've got the haves, you've got the have-nots, you've got the people that believe this, you've got the people that believe this. No, equality, one table, one Christ. Paul says there in the end of 18, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So there's a difference. Some of you are being genuine. And because of that, I can recognize these other pockets. Not healthy. Not the way it's supposed to be. Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Like like they think it is. But he's saying it's not actually what it is. Because that's about contrition and about unity. About grace for all. uh, About community. uh, About uh, transactional generosity. All this stuff. That's not happening. So for some of you here, you think you're doing the Lord's Supper? You're not. That's not what's happening for you. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Cutting in line, going first, taking the most. So one goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? See, he's assuming fellowship. He's assuming eating in homes. This is the special church coming together. Verse uh, 22 again. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. For what I receive from the Lord is what I also delivered on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, this is the gratitude, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. One body, one church, one faith. This is for all of you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, the Passover meal, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, his blood on the doorposts of our hearts. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, thinking of Christ, Christ first, all of us together second. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, whoever Does it wrong whoever is not in it for the right reasons, whoever is making light of it, whoever is, you know, ruining it? He says, they'll be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, look deep into our hearts, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. But if we judge ourselves truly, if we examine ourselves, hold ourselves to a higher standard, judge ourselves rightly, then we don't need to worry about being judged. We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. He condemns us. He doesn't condemn us. That's the wrong word. He corrects us without condemning us. The blood of Christ saves us from that. He corrects us in discipline. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, whenever you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. It won't result in God's displeasure. And about the other things, I will give you directions when I come. So this Sunday, this special Sunday, is coming together around a meal in which we recognize God's role in our lives. And we give him an offering of our incense, our sacrifice, of our time, and of our worship. Spiritual worship and spirit and truth. This is a meal that we share together equally around the table. And this is a meal that we invite the world around us to come, believe in Christ, and share with us. Is this what our church looks like? Is this what our home looks like? Do we celebrate meals together as a family? Or has that beautiful and powerful uniting element been lost because of busyness? or work, late work schedules, or sports and school activities. Does this element of inviting each other around the table exist for us and our neighbors? Have I ever had my neighbor from one side or the other over for a meal in my home? How about the people across the street? How about the people in our town that I'm praying for? If we just shared a meal? Not necessarily invited someone to a Bible study or a church on Sunday, but just shared a meal? Because in that generous attitude, We are participating with God. We're giving thanks to him. We are sharing without any hope or need for payback, just a gift. We're opening our hearts. We're opening our lives. And in the structure of the church, that should be happening with the three that we hold most dear, our spiritual brothers and sisters, our closest. It should be happening with our 12 where we gather together and we invite people into that 12. Come, join us. We have a meal, an open table. Come share the goodness of God. Hear more about him. Let's talk about him. And let's talk about sports. And let's talk about our week. Let's be together. And as a church, as the Seventy, this New Hope Christian Chapel, association of us as believers, our body here, do we come together around meals? Do we share meals in our homes? So if not, something's going to be missing. I think we can all look back on our lives and remember times we were so tight knit with specific people. And it's my prayer that right now we even have some of those relationships. But whether it's a memory of the past or an experience of the present, I hope that most of us, if not all of us, can identify a time where we are together. And I almost guarantee it's going to revolve meals, coming together around food, not just worship services but true koinonia. And it would challenge us to think that if we're going to have a relationship with the world around us, it should include food as well. Faith and food, almost like inextricably linked and powerfully helping us come together. Let's not be a church that just goes to a, a church building on a Sunday morning and doesn't ever come together around the table. So remember, there's one God, one faith, one baptism, one church, one meal, one communion of the saints, and that we're all gathered on his table together this morning. So hopefully we'll understand how communion will fit into this discussion of community that we've been having, and I encourage you now to take the discussion questions that we have for you this morning and just take a few minutes to think about what community is, how we commune with God around the table what it means for outreach to our neighbors, what it means for our own fellowship and friendship and really truly connecting at a deep level with one another. And may God bless our families and our church and our outreach as a result.